Thank you so much. That was so fun, so awesome. Praise God. Josh. Good morning. So glad that you were here on this snowy, chilly, but cozy, as Beth said, morning. This is our, our final week of the I Am series that we've been uh, walking through. I hope that it has been um, renewing for you as it has for me, just thinking of Jesus, of who he is in all these different ways, thinking about what it means for us and how we um, uh, live in response that he is the good shepherd, that he is the bread of life. Um, all of them, you really can't say any one of the I am statements are more important than the other. Uh, this final one is, is pretty significant, as they all are in my mind. Um, I want to start with a story a number of years ago, there was a, a dear family that um, their son, he was in his 30s, and had lived a, a very difficult, very challenging life. He had made uh, some hard decisions. He was a Christian, so thankful that he had, over the course of his difficult life, had given his life to Christ, but he passed away in his mid-30s. And... Uh, and the family had uh, asked me to come, and I went there, and it was, he had just passed away um, less than an hour uh, prior to me getting there. And when I walked in, it was really a, um, somewhat of a, a beautiful scene of, of friends and family. They had, uh, were gathered around uh, this family. And the son was still there. The mother was mourning. She was actually laying uh, on top of her first son, and she was, she was weeping. And as I got there, she, she rose up, and she wiped uh, the tears from her eyes, and then she said, Pastor, I'm so thankful that you're here. What happens next for my son? Where I know that this isn't him, this is only a, a shell. Where is he now? And it, it was a sacred moment. It was a, a, a special moment. I confess, as a young pastor, a very intimidating moment, right? To, to, to be there with her son, uh, to not want to say a, a wrong thing or a wrong word, and, and how do you uh, respond in such a, a, a sacred moment? Really, she was asking uh, the question that is considered one of the, you know, if there's top five questions that, that all human beings, and in part it means to be human, to ask these questions. Is there a God? What's the, the meaning of life? What happens when you die? would be in the top five. Would you agree? The, those, the, those significant questions that, that, that weigh in, that, that people have wrestled with through the ages and, and guessed at and, and wondered about and said, well, here's my perspective. I, I uh, looked up a few quotes about what happens when you die. I found um, this one interesting from J.R.R. Tolkien. He wrote this, in sorrow we must go, but not in despair. 
Behold, we are not bound forever to the circles of this world, and beyond them is more than memory. You can see his convictions about the afterlife flowed into the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings that he wrote about. Uh, Carl Sagan, non-believing scientist, he, he wrote this. I would love to believe that when I die, I will live again, that some, that some thinking, feeling, remembering part of me will continue. But as much as I want to believe that, and despite the ancient and worldwide cultural traditions that assert an afterlife, I know of nothing to suggest that it is more than wishful thinking. I think when it comes to the, the afterlife, when it comes to the spiritual realms, when it comes to heaven and hell, when it comes to that big meaning, what happens when you die, really, in part, you have to decide. You have to wrestle with, who am I going to believe? Whose perspectives, whose thoughts... Whose words and ideas will I accept as true and, and why? You know, interesting, in the New Testament times, in Jesus' time, the, there was a number of different perspectives about the afterlife and specifically about the resurrection. You had a, a few different religious leaders that were in factions. You had the, the Pharisees, who actually believed in a resurrection, not generally how Americans believe in resurrection. Generally speaking, Americans believe in a resurrection that is a, a non-physical kind of, you go and you flutter around in a non-physical existence and play a harp. I don't right? I'm so glad you don't believe that, Mike. <laughs> but that's how a lot of Americans believe. But the, the Pharisees didn't believe that. You see, they were Jews. And, and many of them believed in a, in a physical resurrection, that, that the earth was originally designed to be our home. And that resurrection didn't mean that we leave the earth, but resurrection meant that we're given new resurrection bodies to inhabit the earth like God originally intended in the Garden of Eden. There was a, a Pharisees, religious leaders, that believed in that resurrection. There were also Sadducees, and they interacted with Jesus at different times. And the Sadducees, they didn't believe in resurrection. They didn't believe in any of it. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in demons. They didn't believe in a, in a spiritual uh, realm in that sense. And they didn't believe in a resurrection. We actually have Jesus debating and taking sides, the Pharisee side, as opposed to the Sadducees. The Apostle Paul interacted with a number of folks on the resurrection Himself, He, one time, he got out of trouble by pitting the Pharisees against the Sadducees. It was very clever on his part. There was a time when he spoke to uh, philosophers, Acts 17, right? These were Greek philosophers. And he mentions the resurrection as he presents the gospel, and, and they somewhat ridiculed him for believing in the resurrection. Interesting enough, there was uh, Christians in Corinth they were saying, well, we're Christians, but we don't really believe in the resurrection. And the, and the Apostle Paul said, that's not okay. 
In fact, the Apostle Paul saw the resurrection as central to the gospel. In fact, he would say, don't even bother with the gospel if you don't believe in the resurrection. In a long chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, I'll just read this. We have these verses up here. You'd say, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep, that's meaning have died in Christ, are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are, all, uh, we are of all people most to be pitied. He's saying you can't skip the resurrection. You need to hold on to the resurrection. That is central to the good news of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. Jesus had a lot to say about the afterlife. He had a lot to say about the resurrection. And we're going to look at a story this morning that is very poignant, very powerful. In fact, he's going to, if you would, turn with me to John chapter 11 for our final I am statement. And this is a, a story where he interacts with three siblings, Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And, and we're going to learn a little bit of something in, in each interaction with all three of the siblings. We're going to learn a little bit about the resurrection. And let me pray for us because I believe that Jesus wants us to have deep convictions, not just about life today, but life in eternity and what he claims regarding the afterlife and the resurrection. Jesus, would you teach us now? Thank you for your presence. Would you work in the midst of your word, the prayers of your people, and the preaching of your word? You said that you are the truth. Would you teach us about the truth regarding the afterlife? And what's in store for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to pick up the, the story at verse 20. Where uh, Jesus is a ways off. And, and Martha and Mary send word that. They said the one that you love is sick. That's Lazarus. Right? So Jesus had a, a personal and deep connection with this family. And Jesus says. Okay. And he stays where he is. He says, this will not end in death, but I'm going to hold back for the glory of God. Lazarus dies. And um, he's dead for four days by the time that Jesus finally arrives. And, and there's lament, there's longing, there's um, all this pain and then Jesus arrives, and picking up in verse 20, Martha, one of the sisters, comes out to greet Jesus. And it says, verse 20, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. An expression of faith by Martha. 
But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. I believe that Martha was asking for a miracle. That in this moment, she was saying, Jesus, if you would have been here, I have the faith. Because she's been seeing Jesus do miracles. She'd seen Jesus um, do incredible things. And she was saying, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. I know that. But even now, would you please bring my brother back to life? And Jesus responds, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I don't think that's the response that, that Martha was wanting. I think that that. She was wanting him to bring him back in the here and now. And yet she was a follower of Jesus. She was a Jew. She probably believed in the resurrection of the followers of God. And so, though it's not the answer that she was looking for, she affirms it. She believes and she trusts. Jesus goes on to say something more. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. He's talking about life after death after life. Let me say that again. Life after death after life. And he's saying, I am the embodiment. What you've ta been taught about the resurrection, about the life, what, what you've seen, the, the, the promise of eternity, he's saying, I embody that. Not just that I will give you and grant you resurrection. He's saying, I am the resurrection and life. And then look at how he follows this most profound statement. It's with a question. It's with an invitation. It's a, he is eliciting a response from Martha and you and I. He says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And Martha, even though she takes a bad rap sometimes when she's working in the kitchen, Mary is always the, the lovely one. She expresses this beautiful faith. Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world even more beautiful because she believes that God, Jesus is not going to grant the return of Lazarus, and yet still places her hope into eternity. One of the things that I think we learn through Martha in this interaction is Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one that we can place our hopes, our faith, and our belief in 
regarding the afterlife and what happens when you die and the resurrection. It's important to note what Jesus is doing here and the ministry that Jesus had. You see, Jesus is not claiming that he is simply a wise religious leader and wants to give us perspective on the great unknown and the mystery. You know, he doesn't say, you know, I'm not really sure. We've wrestled with some of these things, but here you go. Here's, here's my best thoughts regarding the afterlife. He doesn't say that, does he? He also doesn't say, by the way, I have some insider information. I have a being from heaven like an angel who came and revealed to me some things about eternity. There's other religious leaders that have claimed that. Jesus isn't one of them. Do you realize what Jesus is claiming? He is saying, I can tell you where you're going because that's where I'm from. I can talk to you about eternity and heaven because I alone am a man of heaven, not of earth. When he was interacting with Nicodemus, a Pharisee who probably would have believed many good things about resurrection and, and life after death, after life, but yet he was a little frustrated with old Nick. He wasn't quite getting it. He was slow on the uptake. And so finally he says this in John 3. He says, I have spoken to you of earthly things. He, he's been trying to get to him about earthly things. And you do not believe? How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Friends, I believe that Christians miss this perspective. They talk, we can talk about the mystery of the unknown and, well, oh, who, who really knows, right? And we get to say, no, 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 Jesus, that's part of the claim. That's part of who he said he is, that he can teach us not just about earthly things, not just about faith, not just about how to live this life, but he can teach us about eternal things. He wants to remove that, oh, well, it's mystery and who really knows the answer. No, he wants to teach us about that. I was, a number of years ago, there was a, a pastor, he was somewhat controversial, and he was talking and writing about heaven and hell, and he, he, he created quite a stir, and I was, I was disappointed with, with how he handled, especially the passages of hell, but I was particularly disappointed when I heard him say this, you know, really, when we're talking about afterlife, it's all conjecture. It, it, no one really knows. And I thought, wait, what, what about Jesus? He knows. He's not guessing. He came and shared the, the scriptures that you're missing on hell. Those are the words of Jesus. As Christians, we don't get to say that. Right? We get to either believe or not believe Jesus. We can choose someone else to believe about the afterlife, but then we're not really followers of Christ Jesus. You understand? He, he came that we would understand the aspects of this world. 
but also in the life ever after. Last Easter season, um, in, in uh, the United Kingdom, the BC, BBC local radio station commissioned a survey, and they, it was a phone survey, and they interviewed over 2,000 adults uh, for, it was over, I don't know, a 10-day period in the Easter season, just before Easter. And uh, the survey, they, 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 here were the results of some of the survey. They said um, 17% of the people interviewed 17% believed in the biblical version of the resurrection. 17%. Now, I wasn't too shocked by that, being Europe and England. I was surprised by this statistic, though. They said that of the percentage of people that identified themselves as Christians, 31% of the Christians believed in the biblical version of the resurrection. Only 31%. And then they, they further had another category from Christian, identifying yourself a Christian, to active Christian, like that you attend services and so forth. And of the active Christians, do you know what percentage believed in a, the biblical version of resurrection? 57%. 57%. That is a more surprising statistic than 17%. I don't think Jesus is pleased with that. I think he wants for his followers that are actively pursuing him, what percentage do you think Jesus wants? A hundred percent, right? I've told you this. I've spoken to you about earthly things. How are you going to get heavenly things? He's saying, listen, this is where I'm from. Friends, here's the issue, is I believe it's an empty gospel. I, I think this is why Paul was so adamant with the, the Corinthian Christians. He was saying, listen, this is, this is crucial. This is essential. If you remove the resurrection and the, and the power of God, then you might, you're, you're a limp biscuit in terms of a Christian. You, you might as well jump out, right? We are to be pitied, right? This is what Jesus said. You don't get to pick and choose his words if you're a follower of Jesus. And in fact, why? It's so much fuller and richer. In that, in that moment with the mother when she asked me about her son, I'm so thankful for the promises of Jesus. Not because of my understanding or my faith. I just, I got to give him, give her the words of Jesus. He is the resurrection and the life. Praise God that, that he's given us this promise. We, we can claim that. In these moments that you can say, non-believers can say, you know, that's pie in the sky. I, that's okay with me. But I, I'm not going to choose a, a Carl Sagan. I, I, I'm not going to choose a, someone else who's, who, who would say, mm, you know, no one really knows. I, I'm going to choose Jesus Amen. and his words and his promises because he alone 
is from eternity. He alone is now living in eternity. He's the one who said, I am preparing a place for you. Believe it. Have confidence. Live your life today in the confidence of the resurrection and the life. There's only one to believe in. There's only one from heaven, and there is only one that we can rest and believe. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent, he gave. Where did he send him from? He sent him from eternity, from heaven. He gave his son, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Life after death, after life, it's a promise. You put it not on my words not on anyone else's words, but on Jesus' words alone, you will receive. Now, the story goes on, and he was with Martha, and then he interacts with, with Mary. We, we pick up the story at, at verse 32. It says, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you, have been, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same thing, Martha, probably as they were lamenting and longing in these four days that he was lost, um, that they were probably sharing that, yes, if the teacher were here, he would have been saved. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Remember, they said, Lazarus, the one you love, is sick. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35 favorite verses in scripture. It's really easy to memorize. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man had kept this man from dying? I think we, we learn a couple of things through Mary in this experience. One is Jesus is the one who loves us in the midst of our pain. That death is still at work in this world. This curse is still present. We still lose loved ones. There's still tragic stories. One of the things I love so much about this story is, let me ask you this. Did Jesus know that he was going to raise Lazarus? He did, right? And so he knows in just a little bit, just like a few minutes, Mary is weeping. Martha is weeping. There's sadness. There's pain. And Jesus could have said this. Just hold on, just give me a few minutes, right? Just wait, right? 
Whatever, everything that ends well is well, right? We're good, you're right. He could have said that, right? But what does he do? He enters into Mary's pain. He, he weeps at the sorrow of this beautiful family. You know, I, I think that to really understand this, this, this challenges our, our picture of God the Father. Oftentimes, many of us, even as Christians, we still hold God the Father as a God who is somewhat distant and removed from our, our day-to-day struggles and sorrow. Right? Do, you ever, do you struggle with that a little bit? I know I have struggled with that. that. That sense of, is he really my Abba Father? Now remember, to see Jesus was to see God, the Father. To, to know Jesus, Jesus is the revelation of God. right? He, he reveals who the Father is. So we actually don't get to say, well, I, yeah, Jesus was that way. I don't think the Father was. No, that, it doesn't work that way. And so here we see Jesus and the Father entering into the pain of his children. You know, I believe that fully the Father is going to bring the restoration of all things in this world. The promise of eternity is that every tear will be wiped away, that there will be no more pain and no more sorrow. That is the renewed earth. And yet God the Father doesn't go, hey, everybody, just hold on, it's coming, right? It'll be good, it'll be good, trust me, trust me. He doesn't do that. He enters our pain and sorrow In fact, the author of Hebrews says this about Jesus. For we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to empathize, to feel, to walk alongside us in our pain, our sorrow, our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus entered our pain. He entered this broken world. He endured far more than any of us will ever endure. And that with us, he shares our pain and our struggle and our difficulty. It's been a number of years ago since we lost my dad. Um, it was, uh, my mom was actually uh, visiting us when we were church planting in Chula Vista outside of San Diego. And she was with us and we got the call from my sister. He was only 65. We were devastated. He had snowblowed the driveway and gone into the kitchen and had a heart attack, we believe, and so we, we, we flew back there. Um, I was devastated for myself and, and my siblings, of course, but for my mom in particular, just this, the, the, the shock, the sadness that was there. We, 
we, we did all the processes. We did the, the funeral service and, and made the arrangements and all of those things. And, we, and the Lord met us in, in those times. That um, was on Saturday. On Sunday was church, our, our old home church. And understandably, my, my family... I mean, everyone was emotionally exhausted and distraught, and they didn't want to go to church. They didn't want to be around people. I did. I did. Not because I was a pastor and I'm supposed to be in church. I had nothing to do with that. Do you know why? I I just wanted to be in God's presence. I, I just... I wanted to, I was hoping I didn't see anybody I knew. I just wanted to be among God's people worshiping and singing, entering the throne room. I I just, I wanted to hear the word preached. I still remember the message. It was on evangelism. It was the last thing I needed to hear. It, It, but you know what? It didn't matter. It didn't matter. It was was God's word preached, and and I just felt his nearness. It was all I wanted. It was in that moment that I experienced his mercy, and he said, Erica, I've got you. I've got your mom. She's mine. I, I, I felt his comfort and I, I heard his words and I, and I could believe that my father, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That it was in that moment I could believe and see that my dad was in the presence of Christ Jesus because of his words. It was because of his words that I believed that he had prepared a place for my father. That he was waiting for me to get there. That someday I would be with my dad again in the resurrection of all things. That Hebrews passage that talks about Jesus empathizing with our weakness goes on. You see, we, he enters our pain and we get to enter his presence. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. It was in those moments that I received mercy and grace by the presence of God. I I never want to lose that of the gospel. That the gospel is not simply a help for today. It's not a a, a crutch that we might get past some of the hardships. It is a full gospel that talks about this life and the life to come. 
And we get to live and breathe in the fullness of the gospel that includes the promises of Christ Jesus in this age and the age to come. Amen? And if we have a truncated gospel, if we have a shallow gospel, if we have an incomplete gospel, then we will not live in the fullness of Christ Jesus today because we've missed his promises for tomorrow. Amen? Amen. One more interaction. It's with Lazarus. Interesting. There's a couple of stories of Lazarus. We never hear Lazarus uh, share a word. So, verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with the... A stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. Take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. I asked about, I I, I researched the four days. I was like, why not three days? Wouldn't that be a great foreshadowing there? But I guess it uh, was believed by many in the Jewish culture that the spirit of the dead hovered around for three days, hoping to return. But on the fourth day, it left. Don't know if that's why Jesus timed it in such a way, four four days or not. But Jesus wanted them to know this is a profound miracle and a foreshadowing of the promises that he would make regarding resurrection. Verse 40, then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, speaking to Martha, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here. He wants us to know that he prayed and he asked the Father that Lazarus, his spirit, would return so that they might believe that you sent me. Verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now I think we missed the visual of this passage. Lazarus hears Jesus' voice and must have gotten up and did he take the grave clothes off? No, they're still there. So I'm imagining this is how it happened. (laughs) Right? Or maybe the little steps like that where he was like, and his face is still covered. So he's like, Jesus, get the grave clothes off, right? There's this dramatic moment that we, we see in response to the voice of Jesus. And we learn from Lazarus that Jesus is the one who removes our graves clo- grave clothes. Jesus is the one that gives us new clothes. I love this picture. Now, now it does say to us, this is an affirmation, just as Jesus' resurrection is an affirmation to all the words that he said. 
right? We, we can wrestle and we, all of the words, and yet Jesus didn't just throw these things out and say, well, I wonder if that'll stick against the wall. No, he shares truth with us and the affirmation of all that he said about this life and the life to come was his resurrection. He's saying, all that I've shared is true with you. But also this is a a picture, a metaphor of eternal life now. Many have taken it as a picture that when you believe in the resurrection, you get to live resurrection life now. That eternal life does not begin when we die. But as Christians, we believe that eternal life begins the moment that Christ enters in and brings new life, eternal life. We call it kingdom life today. Author right here in Colorado, they, they lead a, um, a ministry called the Potter's Inn, uh, Stephen Smith, and he wrote The Lazarus Life. And it's a, it's a really beautiful picture. It's about transformation. And, and he uses uh, the grave clothes as a metaphor. He, he says this. He says, sin is the fabric of our grave clothes. That's what sin is. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This uh, conniving and deceitful and interestingly woven fabric becomes an unending source of struggle and strife for us this side of heaven. We will always have to deal with the texture, the weaving ability, the wrapping power it has on and in us and around us. Do we have victory? Do we get to hear the words of Jesus, take the grave clothes off? Yes, that's what he wants to do. But then the apostle Paul says this in Colossians. He says, you used to walk in these ways in life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself. You must take off those grave clothes. Even if it leaves you naked, that's good. In this instance, nakedness is good. Remove the grave clothes. He says, all such things, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. We need to hear Christ Jesus say, take those grave clothes off. That's not resurrection life. That's not eternal life. That's not what I died. No, get those off. Remove those. Paul will go on to say, put on, I'll call them kingdom clothes. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, loved, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Those are the clothes I want you to live. Oftentimes when I do weddings, I'll share with folks and I'll say, Hey, you put a lot of thought in your marriage clothes, the, the wedding gown and the, and the tux for the guy, right? I want to encourage you to think about your, your marriage clothes, your, your, uh, your wedding clothes, how you live. And I said, guys, if you have a shirt of anger, that's ugly. 
that clashes. Take that off. If there's slander, if there's remembering of old and past hurts and wounds, that's not kingdom clothes. That's not resurrection clothes. Live in those ways. Jesus is saying the resurrection matters. The, the, the promises that I give you aren't just for now. The promises that I give you go into eternity. That you can believe what I have said. And here's this beautiful picture is you get to live everything I've said right here and right now. Take those grave clothes off, Lazarus, and live eternal life. Friends, I'll leave you with this. Believe that there is a longing in eternity in each of our hearts. And that we can wrestle and people will continue to wrestle. There was a a well-known atheist, uh, Christopher Hitchens. And uh, he was asked uh, by uh, Larry Taunton. He was a publicist and he arranged a number of dialogues between Christopher Hitchens and other well-known Christian authors and writers. And so you can actually YouTube, there's, there's a lot that um, Hitchens had to say and he wrestles and um, this uh, Larry Taunton, he tells a story. He, he grew this unlikely friendship with Christopher Hitchens. And they went on two long road trips together as, as part of the speaking engagement. And he tells the story. He says, my, my mind goes back when we were on the road. It was autumn and the leaves were translucent. And Christopher Hitchens was reading John chapter 11. He's reading the Lazarus story. And he reached the, the 25th and the 26th verses. And his face lit up with recognition. He stops. He says, I, I know this one too. I did not recall its connection with the resurrection of Lazarus when he asks Martha, do you believe this? Larry said, it's a great verse, I added, sensing a defining moment. Christopher Hitchens says, yes, Dickens, the author, thought so. Christopher says, and then taking his reading glasses off, he turns to me and says, do you believest thou this, Larry? His sarcasm was evident, that's who he was, but it lacked the customary force what Larry was used to. And Larry responded, I do, but you already knew that I did. The question is, do you believe thou this Christopher Hitchens? And he writes, as if searching for a clever response, he hesitates and speaks with unexpected transparency. I'll admit that it is not without appeal to a dying man. 
Friends, there's this longing, there's this need, there's this desire that I believe that God has placed in each and every one of us. It's this sense and this longing that we were not made for this life and this life alone, that we were knit together in eternal ways. And Jesus is saying, believe me, trust me. I am the answer to that longing. I meet that hunger, that needs. I resolve all fears. I place in all those doubts faith and hope that you can believe in this life and life forevermore. Let's pray. I'd like to invite our, our prayer folks forward. If there's something that this message touched or, or even something else that God is doing in your heart that you just want a brother and a sister to pray for you in, I encourage you to respond and, and come forward. Maybe there's still some sadness in your heart for those that you've lost. Sadness is part of it. We will all experience sadness. But as Tolkien says, not despair. Paul says we grieve, yes, the loss and the pain. But not as the world grieves. We grieve in hope. And if you just want to pray that God would fill still the, those caverns of the soul, that you, you have that sense of pain and you just need the presence of the one who is from eternity to speak, I would encourage you to come forward and to be prayed for. Holy Spirit, we love you and we thank you that you enter, Spirit of Christ, our pain and we get to enter your presence. We ask that you'd fill us anew, fill us with your hope and your strength, your belief, our belief in your resurrection and ours. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand and join us. Great.